Good morning, everybody. Daylight savings time. It's like, my, it's like life returns, isn't it? But it's like a cruel joke when you wake up and it's seven degrees and the roads are covered in ice. I want to thank every one of you that made me feel popular by signing up to have lunch. Um, it's unlike the days of high school, so I feel better about myself now. Starting something new today, I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk to you about A bunch of months ago, October 30th to be exact, my dad, who is 79 years old, his birthday's actually this month. Oh, which reminds me, today is Isaac Davis's 30th birthday, our worship pastor. Is he, he's back in the back there. Would you all turn around and give Isaac just like a, a little wave and a thank you for all he is and all he does? I won't force him. We already sang happy birthday to him, so I won't drag him through it again. Maybe second service, but not this one. Anyway, my dad, speaking of birthdays, his birthday is coming up. He's going to be 80 years old. And as a lot of you know that we're, we're, are around the church, he had a massive heart attack recently. Now, my dad, being the original tough guy that he is, and I'm not exaggerating, when I tell you that, and I, you know, my, my family will laugh when they hear this, when I tell you that the, the most told story of my childhood was the story of my father knocking out the Wisconsin State wrestling champion with one punch. I heard that story 10,000 times. Even at 80, if he could get his balance, you wouldn't want to mess with him. But anyway, he is this tough guy, right? And it appears that he had this heart attack on a Friday night. He thought it was indigestion, as you always hear. And so he just kind of dealt with it, went to bed, and he woke up Saturday morning, and he felt fine, apart from the fact that he couldn't move, like couldn't move, couldn't get out of bed. So my stepmother called me on Saturday morning. I was watching um, game day, college football, and she told me two things. The first was completely unexpected. She said, your dad's in bed and he can't move. The second was totally expected, which was he refused to acknowledge that there was something seriously wrong and he wouldn't let her call the doctor or the ambulance. That's my dad. Now to make a long story short, turns out he had a massive heart attack where the main artery to his heart was 99% completely blocked. And so, uh, unknowing, unknowingly, he sat in Hackettstown Hospital for a couple of days and then um, was transferred to Morristown Memorial for what we had anticipated, and so did the doctors, being a relatively benign cardiac catheterization procedure, which he was in for about 15 minutes when they pulled him out and they said that he was in much, much worse shape than thought. The blockages were in the worst possible place in his heart. They said he wasn't, because of his age, a candidate for open heart surgery. And the only option would be what they described as a, a very high risk stent procedure. And to add to the scare, they all also advised us that in order to prep him for this, they would need to put him on a ventilator to ensure he didn't pull out the heart pump that they had put him on. That was a tough day. Didn't see it coming. The next day was even tougher because we had to sign his life away, literally signing an agreement to all the things that they told us that this procedure was risky and easily could result in his death. And then we had to say goodbye as they prepared to take him into surgery. And, you know, as you can imagine, that was to date the most emotional moment of my life. I leaned over my father. And if you know my family, you know I really love my father. And I leaned over him, he was unconscious, he's breathing on the ventilator, and I just whispered in his ear, and I told him how much I loved him, what an amazing father he had been, how blessed I was to be his son. 
And then here, here's the funny part, and, and it's completely true. Through all these tears, I told him what a tough guy he was and that now he had to fight like never before and to go do to this surgery what he had done to the Wisconsin State Wrestling Champion. And then I left the room, and I did what I think every one of you would do. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed some more. And it was a long road back for my dad, like literally a full month in hospitals and rehabs, but miraculously, he survived and recovered. And for a long time, it didn't look like he was going to. That didn't seem how it would end. But God answered my prayer. So many of you prayed for my dad. God answered our prayers. It, it was amazing. It was miraculous. I'm telling you, it didn't look like it was going to end up that way. And I'm so thankful for your prayers and for God and this miraculous healing. But, as you know, most of my talks are kind of born out of inner wrestling stuff. But an interesting personal revelation came to me right in the middle of this process. I think it was the day after my dad survived the initial high-risk surgery. I was back at the hospital. I was there pretty much every day for a month. And if you know Morristown Memorial, I had parked down at the cancer center, and I was walking up the hill, which was reminding me I was out of shape, up the hill back to the main entrance. And I was thanking God like crazy for letting my dad live and for answering my prayers and telling God how wonderful he was. And I could actually tell you right where I was on the sidewalk when I had this little bit of divine revelation. I'm thanking God, and right then in my spirit, I, I, I didn't hear coming back from God, you're welcome. In, instead, not audibly, in my soul, I just felt like God was asking me a question. It went something like this, John, the next time your dad gets sick, you're going to pray crazy like this again, John, but you know this, heck, you're a pastor, it is appointed for man once to die. That's a promise, and that's the truth. If the next time this happens to your dad and he dies, and your dad is going to die, John, are you going to praise me then? Will you even remember this time, the next time? What are you going to do that time, John? Don't you hate when God does that to you? I was right in the middle of a good day. And because I can't lie to God, I mean, you know, he already knows, right? So I was just kind of having an honest conversation back with him. I said, I don't know, God. I mean, I know how I want to react, right? We sing that song sometimes, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name. Those aren't just lyrics. That's actually exactly what Job's reaction was when he heard that his children, and Job is this biblical character in the Old Testament, when he heard that his children had been killed, they come to him and they tell him about this horrible situation. And Job's reaction is, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That's what I want my reaction to be. But unfortunately, I'm way too familiar with myself and my flesh and my fears and my doubts. I mean, that's what I want my reaction to be, but I can't help but wonder if my reaction would be something like, you know, God, I asked you to do this. All the things that I do for you, God, and you couldn't, you couldn't answer my prayer, you couldn't save my father. See, I, I mean, I, I'm just being honest. I know me, and, and maybe I know some of you too. Maybe, maybe it's the human condition. I hope it is. But if you're like me, I know where we can go from here. We start to wonder. I mean, he let my dad die. Does God even answer prayers? Because this was a really important one. Like, this, this was a serious one, and he didn't answer it. 
And then it gets you to start going down a road, right? Like, well, maybe God didn't actually even answer my prayer last time about my dad. Maybe that wasn't God at all. Maybe that was just, you know, good doctors. Then you begin to question everything. I mean, right in the middle of this, I, I was so betwixt, I called Joan in and I said to her, you know, Joan, I'm even starting to doubt the most fundamental things. Maybe I wasn't the answer to your prayers after all. And so I started thinking about my prayer life. And I started, and I think this is a pastoral danger, but I think it's one we all fall into. I started to realize that my prayer life had become more, more of a prayer list than a life. Being a pastor, lots and lots of people ask me to pray for lots and lots of things very often, like daily. And I try not to be a phony. If I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I don't just throw that out there. If I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you. But what I started to realize is that most of my time with God as a result was me asking God to do things. As I looked at my prayer life, it was beginning to come more like somebody ordering groceries online, you know? God, you know, I just came to the webpage and I'll, I'll take two of these and, and one of those and no, substitutions aren't permitted. I was treating God and, and prayer almost like it was some kind of lucky charm, right? Like if I do this and, and I get it right, well then maybe this will happen. And so the real visual that came to, to me as I thought about it was this concept. I was treating God, I mean the God of all creation, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the holy, weighty, mighty, everlasting. I had turned him in to gumball God, Right? Put in the right coin, turn the handle, get it right, and maybe if you do it all right, you'll get a prize. Now, here's my guess. My guess is if you begin to examine your approach to God, that you're probably a lot like me. We've made the Almighty our gumball God. And what's worse is that our prayer lives, if we're honest, our prayer lists Let's just be real, okay? They don't seem all that effective. I mean, let's be honest, right? If we're honest, the things we're praying for, lots and lots of those things seem to go unanswered than answered, at least in the way that I'm hoping they'll be answered. It's almost like, if I'm honest, what I was taught about prayer doesn't work. I could give you a million examples of this, a million of them. I mean, prayed for my daughter to do her best. She tripped and fell. I prayed for my son to get into his dream school. He got denied. You share the same stories. I prayed for it to be benign. It was malignant. I prayed for him to stay. He left. I prayed for a raise. I, I lost my job. I mean, these prayers don't seem to work, right? I, I've, the Mets and the Cowboys have stunk for decades despite my very best prayer efforts. It's almost if I step back, okay? It's almost as if when I hear God asking me that question, I go, I'm not even certain I really understand this or how to do it because I don't seem to be getting it right. Which makes me ask another question. Why is it that you think you know how to pray? I mean, who taught you how to pray? Honestly, what if you've just been doing it wrong? Like, forever. 
I mean, for most of us, here's what my prayer training consists of. My mother kneeling down, making us kneel down beside our bed as little, little boys. I have a picture of my brothers and I as little kids in our footy pajamas, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep and some line that rhymes that comes after it. That was all of the training I received in prayer. Now, if you're like me, that puts us in good company. Because we're just like Jesus' closest followers, the disciples, who actually began to draw the same conclusions about their prayer lives, which were likely more like prayer lists. And they started to realize, this is not working. And they drew those conclusions, it's not working for two reasons. The first was, what they had been praying for wasn't happening. Rome was still in charge, still persecuting people. They and all the followers of Jesus were still on the run. John the Baptist was still in prison, or worse, depending on when they were praying, beheaded. And so that's one reason, right? Well, we seem to be praying for a lot of things, and it's all going the wrong way still. And then there was this other issue that they, they, they spent a lot of time with Jesus, and, and Jesus spent a lot of time praying, and they started to notice something about Jesus and he, his prayers, that they were dramatically different than how they had been praying what they had been taught. And so I just love this. This is a very honest thing. Um, Luke records one day Jesus was in a certain place, um, praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because it's obvious, we don't know what we're doing. Which tells me that they just saw Jesus doing it very differently from what they were doing. Like, different enough, they said, something's wrong. Can you imagine, after all of these years, these were boys that were, were, were steeped in religion, after all these years, suddenly realizing that some, something so foundational to your faith, you were doing wrong? And my guess is, as we, we look at this, maybe all of us will come to a little bit of that realization. Now, hear me on this. Follower of Jesus or not, this message should matter to you. Because to be human is to be, Christian or not, is to be a person of prayer in one form or another. Tim Keller in his book on prayer makes it clear that statistically everyone prays. Did you know that? Christians don't have the corner on it. Muslims are called to pray five times a day. Jews have traditionally prayed three times a day. Buddhists use prayer wheels. Hindus pray for help or peace to several gods. People in other cultures, such as the Beaver Indians or the Southwestern, uh, of Southwestern Canada and the Papago Indians of the Southwest, they pray, they pray through singing. It's one of the most common phenomena of human life. Even deliberately non-religious people pray at times. Studies have shown in secularized countries, prayer continues to be practiced not only by those who have no religious preference, but even by many of those who don't believe in God. One 2004 study found that nearly 30% of atheists admitted they prayed sometimes. And another found that 17% of non-believers in God pray regularly. This scholar, this Italian scholar, Giuseppe Giordan, summarized, in virtually all studies of the sociology of religious behavior, it is clearly apparent that a very high percentage of people declare they pray every day, and many say even many times a day. Prayer is a global phenomenon. It inhabits all cultures involving the overwhelming majority of people at some point in their lives. 
efforts have been made to find cultures and even on very remote islands, isolated ones, without some form of religion and prayer, and they always fail. There has always been some form or attempt of humans to communicate to the divine. There seems to be this, this innate human instinct for prayer. Swiss theologian Karl Barth called it our incurable God sickness. So if you're here this morning and you're not a convinced or convicted follower of Jesus, that's awesome. I'm glad you're here. I, I would love you to become part of our church family. But it's likely that you're a prayer. And so the disciples' question to Jesus, the one that he's about to answer, should be as much of much interest to you as it is to everybody. In fact, we know from the scriptures that this instruction on how to pray, Jesus didn't answer that question just once. He actually answered it twice. It, it happened on two different occasions where Jesus felt the need to teach people that they were praying wrong. And you and I have to realize, if they were praying wrong, we're likely praying wrong. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest recording teaching, here's what he said. He goes, and when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to, to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. They've received their reward in full. And so Jesus decides before he teaches us about how to pray that he's going to show us how not to pray. And the reason is super interesting, actually. We should care. Don't pray like this, because these kind of prayers, Jesus say, don't work. There's no answer. There is, uh, to use Jesus' language, no reward to them. Now, the Greek word there, when Jesus is speaking about hypocrites, the Greek word that this was written in, that word means actor on a stage. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, don't be a phony, right? Stop. When you pray, don't be a phony. In this case, these phonies were trying to make themselves, through their eloquent and loquacious prayers, appear to be something that they just weren't. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're using prayer as some kind of tool to make yourself look better, to build in, in a sense, some reputation for yourself, that's great for you. Your reward is exactly what you want then. You got what you want. Your reward is what people think of you. You've gotten all you're going to get. In some sense, Jesus is saying, I hope they're impressed because that's what you're going to get. If you think it impresses God, you're wrong. And he goes on, he goes, but when you pray, so I know I say this every week, but I, I need you to enter the story, right? When you pray, here comes the answer. This is how to pray. And these are human beings, right? So I think when Jesus says, this is how you're to pray, they're thinking, here it comes. Here's how prayer works. Jesus is now going to tell me how I get the reward, right? How, what's the secret for getting the gumball to drop, right? Like, is it, you know, this morning I was driving here with this machine, and it's, it's brand new. I, I even left the tag on it. This will be up in children's ministry in a couple of weeks. And as I'm driving here, I'm going, I don't even know how this stupid thing works. Like, does it take a quarter, a nickel, a dime, right? And so I'm like, I, you know, Part of me is like, geez, I hope it doesn't take a quarter. Because remember, I told you I'm cheap, right? <laughs> I, I started with a penny, right? Like, I, I was hoping it would take a penny, that I wouldn't have to give that much in order to get what I needed. And I started to say, huh, there it is again, right? I hope I don't have to give that much to get what it is that I need, God. 
And, and is it like, is it the right, is it the right thing? Like, you know, it, this is a dime. That seems really small. Is that going to work? And then, you know, you ever get to a gumball machine and it's like, it's stuck and you got to pull the thing out and jiggle it just the right way and hope that, you know, if you pull it out and, and turn left easy and then hard right, they're all sitting around. Jesus goes, but when you pray, so they're going, okay, I've been waiting. Tell me, is it the dime, the quarter, or the nickel? Jeez, I hope it's the penny. Is, let, me, let me modern day this up for you. Is it three or four, uh, uh, is it three Our Fathers and four Hail Marys, or, or is it the other way around? Is it eyes open, head up, or is it hands clasped, eyes closed, head down? I mean, how do I get this thing to work, right? That's, I just want to understand. Just tell me what it is, and I'll do it. Just tell me how to get it to work. But when you pray, Jesus says, you go into your room. Now, it's interesting. Jesus actually seems to, to go down the road we want him to. He starts with a, a gumball-type list of instructions. Okay, I got this, okay? Here's how you get the gumball to drop. First, go into your room, right? That's it. Okay, I got that. Go in your room. And the why here will be clear in a couple minutes. But notice Jesus seems to be insinuating that, now listen to me, because you're not going to like this any of I. The place matters. Which, if I'm just being honest, might be the first reason why so many of our prayers are so ineffective. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Jesus already said, stop acting. Where do you pray the most? Because Jesus says it matters. But isn't the truth that you and I, we tend to pray the most when we're driving? I mean, I, I was finishing this sermon this morning, and I got in the shower, and you know what I was doing in the shower? Praying. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong, okay? You know, I, I think prayer should be this constant, continual communication between you and God, right? I'm not minimizing that. And likely, the reason we pray in these spots, right? Like we pray when we're driving to work. We pray, pray uh, on our lunch break. We pray when we're out taking a dog for a walk. We pray when our kids are at practice, right? I know we're busy, and so we try to feed it, fit it in, but Jesus says... That's not it. That's not the right time. And, and, and there's a right time and a wrong time, I guess. Now, why would that be? That seems counterintuitive. Wouldn't he be just happy that I was, I mean, I don't get it. I was talking, I turned off like the radio. Well, he goes on, he goes, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door. And with that, Jesus ups the ante on what he's trying to get across to you and I. Don't just go into your room, close the door, like get alone, away, get totally separated, no distractions. If this was Jesus teaching us in, in the 21st century today, I think he would say, go into your room, turn off the TV, leave the phone in the kitchen, make sure somebody's watching the kids so you're not interrupted. Get all alone, not in the car, not at the soccer practice. Get deeply alone, deeply undisturbed, deeply focused. What you're going to see is Jesus is building something here. You go into your room, and you shut the door, because it's not about the place, it's about what he's building. And he continues, and you pray to your Father who is unseen. 
Now, he actually answers a question that many people have asked, right? When I pray, who do I pray to? Jesus says it's simple. You get alone, and you get quiet. And if you're like me, I don't like the quiet, right? As soon as I come home, it doesn't matter if anybody's home, I flip on the TV because I like a little background noise. You know what happens when it's quiet, right? You ever be in that place where it's just so still, somehow you realize in some spiritual sense you're not alone, And so Jesus says, when you get to that place where you're in such stillness and quiet, you start to go, hmm, I sense that I'm not alone here, he says, then you pray to your Father. Not the catch-all term, God, right? You pray to your Father who's unseen, but you can sense there in the quiet. You don't pray to God. You don't pray to Mary or Joseph or the recently departed, now sainted John the Baptist. You go right to the top. And it's so important, and depending on your faith, faith background, this could be con- tr- controversial information, but Jesus is saying, you don't need to go to anybody else. You have access to God. You don't need a priest. You don't need a saint. You don't need church. You need to understand it's You don't need me. I have lots of folks come up and ask me to pray for them because they think that, I've had people tell me this, well, I know God will listen to your prayers, that, that I'm going to be a good intermediary. And Jesus is going, nope, you don't need John. That's ineffective. You go and you pray to your father. And then listen to this line, because this is the beginning of what we're looking for. And then your father, who sees what it's done in secret, will reward you. You hear that? So again, if we're going to take Jesus seriously, and I would tell you any guy that said he was going to be killed and crucified and and rise from the dead three days later, and he did it, we probably should take what he's saying seriously, right? Right? God says, when you do this, when you do what I'm telling you to do right now, your Father in heaven sees this. He hears you. He sees you there. And then, here's what you've been looking for. He will reward you. This is the kind of prayer that God answers. This is how this thing works. And which, if Jesus was to end right here, you might go, okay, that's great. This is the right coin. He told me, I know how to make it work. Right? I go in my room, I, I close the door, and I talk to God, and I call on my Father. Now, where's my gumball? And that's what you might think, but Jesus doesn't end the story there. He goes, and when, when you pray, and he's speaking to the disciples, don't keep babbling like the pagans, because they think they're going to be heard for their many words. In other words, no, 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 you're missing it. It's not about form. It's not about the coin or the jiggle. See, the pagans thought it was about the coin, saying it the right way for the right amount of times. This is still the case. How many times a day on social media do you have a friend that posts some kind of prayer challenge to pray this or post that or say this or claim your blessing? And if you do, then God will give you what you've prayed for or claimed. This is pagan thinking. This is people looking for the right coin. How do you jiggle this handle just the right way to get the cum ball to drop? And and Jesus says, and here here comes the key to everything. Everything he said so far about prayer, he goes, look, don't be like them. And here comes the crazy part. Don't be like them. Don't do that. Because your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Don't be like them trying to find the right coin or jiggle the handle just the right way. You don't need to do that. That's not how this works. 
you're wasting your time. It's ineffective. In fact, Jesus goes, it doesn't even make sense to do that. You know why? This is the crazy line. I'm sure it confused his disciples when they heard it as much as it does us right now. He goes, you don't need to do any of that stuff. You know why? Because God knows all of that stuff already. He's God. It's not about that. Which, of course, leads to a very good question, because that's what I thought it was about. That's what I was told. What if it's not about that? What if it's about not at its heart? What if it's at its heart not about telling God what I need so I can get God to do what I need God to do? But if it's not about that, then what is it about? I mean, if he already knows, I mean, honestly, if he already knows, you don't even need to ask me, he already knows then what's the point? Well, he already knows. I mean, at some level, it's almost like, well, maybe he's just cruel. He wants me to come ask him for things that he already knows. Why would I do that? Not only is this statement the key to prayer that your father already knows, this is also why Jesus' prayers were so different than the disciples. They were like, whoa, he's doing this totally different than we, we do. I mean, you can imagine how different Jesus' prayers must have been, right? How different yours would be. Think about it. If, if I said to you, you know, you don't need to pray for any of those things, God already knows. A lot of us would be like, well, then what the heck am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, I don't know what to do now. There's no right saying. There's no right coin to get it to drop. This has nothing to do with the, the jiggling the handle. It's about something other than telling God what you want or need because he knows. So if this is true, what is it about? Well, Jesus would say, I'm glad you asked. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And with this opening line, Jesus immediately does two things. The first, and maybe you've never thought about this, but you should. You ever think about this? I want you to step back right now. He doesn't say... Pray like this, my Father who art in heaven. He says, pray our Father. And I can't help believe what Jesus is trying to teach us is that prayer is not all about us and our needs. That God is a global God. There are competing interests of sons and daughters of God all over the place. I mean, think about this. I mean, you, we could spend weeks on this concept. Moving from my father prayers to our father prayers will change how you pray. My father prayers are my father, let my kid win, right? My father, let my kid get in. Our father prayers make me realize that God has other kids that want to win <laughs> and other kids that would like to get in too. Shoot. Now what am I supposed to do? I mean, I have to rethink what I'm praying for. My father, let me get the raise. My father, let me get the prom promotion. Our father. Well, now what? And then, of course, and we're so used to this, right? But in the first century, it was just so shocking in nature. Jesus says, you address your prayers not to the omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent creator spirit who sits above all things and rules all of history and creation from the seat of his throne. That's all true. It's all right. But Jesus says, when you pray, speaking to the disciples, when you pray, you pray to your father. This is a giant invitation, friends, 
to followers of Jesus to come to God with a new level of intimacy and relationship. Many of you know the story, right? The scriptures teach that through Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins, paying the debt that we owed, bridging the separation, right, that we we had from God because of our sins, we are, the scriptures teach, now adopted sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Jesus. And Jesus goes, when you come to him, that's how you come. You come to him with that concept of father, daddy, You don't come to him looking for the right coin to drop in and hoping it's a penny and not a quarter. You come to him as a child would come to his dad. And while God is not a man or a woman, God is spirit, right? What Jesus is saying is the best way, he's kind of condescending to our level of understanding, the best way for you to understand an incomprehensible God and who you are with him is for you to think of him as a father and not just a father, a perfect father, which for me is easy. I mean, my dad is far from perfect, trust me, he would tell you that. But when I think of the incomprehensible God in terms of my father, I get it. I mean, I know my dad was a tough guy. I never feared anything when my dad was next to me, right? He was strong. He was courageous. He was bold. And yet he loved me and he cared for me. I I go to see my dad most Sundays. I go home from here and I go to my dad's around 4 o'clock and I'll stay there for a few hours. And I know my dad waits for me every Sunday night to come to his house and, and just hang out with him. I don't bring anything over. I just sit with him, spend time with him. No agenda. I don't show up hoping to get my dad to drop me a 20, right? I just show up. I mean, I I love him. I value him. I enjoy spending time with him. And I want him to know there's a lot of times where I, you know, I I love spending time with my dad. I love spending time on my couch too. But there's a lot of days where I'm like, I'm going to go over there even though I'm busy. I'm going to make time. It's important. I want my dad to understand. I want to honor him and show him how much I love him. Now, I know all of us didn't have, maybe a lot of us didn't have dads like that. Your dad was really far from perfect. And God knows that too. So when you come, don't think of what your dad, and you call him father, don't think of what your dad was, but who he should have been, because this is who God is. He wants you to come and call him daddy. This is prayer. Right? I wouldn't show up at my dad's house later on today and go, I hope I can figure out a way to get him to give me what I want. Doesn't even make any sense. It's almost offensive, isn't it? This is prayer. It's that personal. It's that intimate. This is what the disciples, this is how the disciples saw Jesus talking to God. Jesus never sat around trying to get the right coin. And then he then takes what he just said, and in a sense, he flips this thing. He flips the coin to the other side. And he goes, oh, but you need to understand who it is you're talking to, who you're calling dad, hallowed be your name hallowed, holy, separate, set apart from everything else in all of creation. There is none like you. Holy has this idea of heaviness or this weight of glory. In the New Testament, it's this word hagios. It it means revered, sacred, worthy of being venerated. This is in the prayer. This is where, if you're getting it right, this is where you have to stop. You have to pause. You've got to take time out. You've got to remind yourself of who it is you're talking to. And this is why, I'm just being honest, and look, I need to work on this, okay? I'm with you. This is why it's it's really hard to hallow God dodging traffic on Route 80, right? I mean, it just really is, right? 
It's easy to give them a list. It's really hard to hallow them. It's hard to hallow God when, when you're watching to see if your kid makes the play or if you're walking your dog and seeing if he makes you, you know what. Hallowing takes a little time, doesn't it? I know for me, when I want to hallow God's name and remind myself of who, who it is I'm speaking, I try to find some science or some data on his creation, the universe, the unexplained that he holds in his hand. I mean, I'll give you one this morning. A light year, right, is how fast light travels in, in, in a year, 186,000 miles per second. The God that I'm told I should call dad, father, the universe that he created is 93 billion light years across. It would take light, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, 93 billion years to get across the, the known universe. And I say known because there's much we don't know and it's still growing. Our father, my dad, but gosh, you, I have an idea of who you are and who I am. Do you get the difference? God, thank you for this day. Now here's my list of things I'd like you to do. This is about stopping and taking time. And it's going to take time. I'm going to show you that in a minute. To remember who he is. And then in comparison, realizing who am I that you tell me to call you dad. And when we do this in quiet, by ourselves, taking the time to hollow, something starts to happen to us. That doesn't happen on Route 80. Something starts to happen in us that doesn't take place in the shower. When we get it right, what comes next begins to flow out of the spirit. And if we don't get this part right, if you don't get the hollow part right, you'll never pray what, you're about, what he says to pray next and mean it. You'll never mean it. You might say it. You won't mean it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom, your will. Your kingdom, your will. This is where I start. I understand who I am. I understand who you are. Lord, I need some help. Your kingdom come, your will. Which my flesh, because I haven't taken the time when I pray without doing it this way, when I haven't taken the time to hallow God, I go to him with my list and I go, well, you know, what about my needs? What about my wants? What about my kids and my health and my job? What about, what about my kingdom? What about my will? What about my needs? To which Jesus, I think, would say, we already talked about that. He already knows all about that. He's a good, good father, and he's very concerned. He knows all those things. This is the prayer version of Jesus' teaching. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. See, it's after the, the hallowing and understanding that he already knows what you need. It's really about trying to re realign, right, what I want with what he wants. I think we come to God a lot. We think prayer is about bending the will of God to realign it with what I want. But it's not. What you start to understand is what's going on here is Jesus is going, no, you need to go to God. You need to go through this whole concept. You need to get alone. You need to be quiet. You need to understand there's something going on that you can't see. You need to understand who he is and who you are. You're invited to call him Father. And when you get to that point, that's when you start to go, maybe this is about me trying to understand what your will is so I can line up under it and not trying to get you to do what it is I want you to do. 
I mean, think about it, right? Uh, Christians often talk about accepting Jesus or surrendering to Christ. Those are words. This is it in action. Not my will, your will. It's not about changing God, which is what most of us try to do. It's about changing me. Now, not only does this prayer line up with Jesus' teaching, seek first the kingdom of God, right? It lines up with how we prayed. This is what the disciples saw and goes, go, well, that's unusual because you seem to be doing exactly the opposite of what we're doing when we pray. This is what they saw. This is what they wanted to instruction in. Now, how do I know that? You can see Jesus, this is so fascinating, at the scariest moment in his life, at the most vulnerable, horrifying moment of his life, praying exactly how he was teaching them to. The night of his arrest, which would set in motion his crucifixion, what do you see in the Garden of Gethsemane that night? Father, there it is, right? Just like he taught you, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Not I demand, not I pray, not I ask, Father. If you're willing, your will. And then what does Jesus say to his dad? What does Jesus remind his humanity of, right? Here's what we believe as Christians, that Jesus is fully God and fully human, fully human. He's got his fully human nature going here, and he's going, take this from me. I don't want this. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I'm not asking you to bend your will to me, God. I'm willing to bend mine to yours. Your kingdom, your will, not mine. Dad, I'm going to ask, but I'm not going to try to get you to change who you are. I'm going to spend some time, and, that's what I, and it's going to take some time. I'm going to spend some time here tonight to bend my human will to your divine will. And for Jesus, that night it was going to take a lot of time because God's will was going to be really hard to accept. It was going to be really hard to yield to. I mean, it's, this is so real. If we would enter the story and not just read these words, listen to what Luke says. He says, in the midst of this, in the midst of what Jesus is trying to do in here, he's not trying to bend the will of God to his. He's trying to line up under God's will. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Why is he in anguish? Because he knew God's will, and he was working to bend his will toward it. See, we read that and think that like Jesus is praying so hard to try to change God's will, right? And then we get caught up in thinking, well, maybe if we pray really hard and over and over and over again and post about it and do it publicly and give God the, the glory, and Jesus is going, no, no, you're, you're, you're missing this. And he's out there, and he, he's trying to bend his will to God's. It's hard to do behind the driving the steering wheel on Route 80. You know, I heard somebody say this week brilliantly teaching about this. He said, he said, you can learn from this. Jesus, you know the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, gave him his life back, and prayed a short, tiny little prayer. He knew God's will, and he prayed a short little prayer. This night he knew his will too, and it was for him to lay his life down. And he had to pray all night. In both cases he knew God's will, but in one case it was going to take him a lot more time to get there. So I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to wrap up. This is the opening. We're going to pick it up again next week, but I'm going to close with this. 
When Jesus first got to the garden that night, he knew the wrestling that was going to go on, right? And so as he walks in, he looks at the disciples that were with him, and he warned them as he went off to pray. And he said, pray while I'm, while I'm gone that you don't fall into temptation. And as we've seen, Jesus was gone for a long time. And you know what they did while they were trying to pray? What we do. This is why I love the Bible. It's just so real, okay? It's, not, it's like the least religious book ever. You know what they did? They fell asleep. They tried to pray. And they fell asleep. And Luke tells us that when Jesus rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray. And then he says it again. So that you won't fall into temptation. Two times. Pray so that you won't fall into temptation. What he's saying to the disciples is what he's saying to us. Pray for the will of God in your life in your family's life, in your career, with your health. Pray for the will of God so that you don't make your will first and fall into the temptations that would come by putting your will first. And so this is a two-week series. Next week, we're going to continue the prayer. We're going to get to the list parts of the prayer. But I want you to consider this. I know if you're from different faith backgrounds, we are in the season of Lent, right? And a lot of people give something up for Lent. I'm going to ask you to consider for the next couple of weeks as we talk about this Gumball God series, I'm going to ask you to pick something up instead. This prayer. I'm not going to ask you to do it forever. I'm just going to ask you over the next week or two, I'm going to ask you to do what Jesus taught us to do. If you want your prayer life to have some power with it. See, God has an agenda. I'm going to ask you to, to set some time. It doesn't have to be long. Just set some time. Get in a room, close the door, and begin our. Oh, that's right. It's not about me. You have an agenda, and I'm part of it, but I'm not all of it. Our Father, Father, Dad, so powerful and so strong, but yet he loves me. Hallowed be your name. Take a few minutes and find yourself something that would make you hallow God. Find the stat, do a, do a couple minutes of work. And then, just every day, today your will, your will not mine. Your will, not mine. And you know what his will is, right? To love him, to love others, to be full of grace and love and compassion. Your will and not mine. And then I, I would challenge you to do this because I, I think it's, it's true. See, see if what Jesus said is not true. Your father who sees what goes on in secret will reward you. Your father, who sees what goes on in secret, will reward you. And then every day, make a little commitment this week, because you're going to fall right back into this. I worked on this this morning, and I was gumballing God in the shower a couple minutes later, right? No more gumball, God. Let's stand and close the song.